This is a valid podcast. We begin today where we ended our last episode on a really happy note. We went to Yokoso Japanese Steakhouse. I um, asked him to decorate the table, gave him a ring to put it on the table so I could ask her to marry me. They had sparklers at the table. It was so romantic. That's Laura and Mike. I'm Jennifer Shveta Jordan. Today on A Valid Podcast, we hear from people with intellectual and learning disabilities. They're sharing their stories of romantic and virtual relationships, online platonic relationships, gaming and Facebook and so forth. We're a few decades past the time when many people with disabilities lived confined to institutions. Yet in a lot of ways, our society hasn't fully supported social inclusion. That is, allowing people with intellectual and learning disabilities to freely choose relationships and roles in the community. We often either shelter or overburden adults with intellectual and learning disabilities. How do we strike a balance? I'm looking forward to exploring some of these issues with you today. Please do note that in this episode, there are mentions of suicidal ideation and self-harm that could trigger some listeners. More about Laura and Mike after this break. A Valid Podcast is brought to you by All Abilities Media. The project is a collaboration between Unabridged Press and the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. We're grateful for support from Pittsburgh Philanthropies. The Staunton Farm Foundation funds mental health programming. Learn more about our mental health-related events and media at allabilitiesmedia.org. Staunton Farm's vision is investing in a future where behavioral health is understood, supported, and accepted. Laura and Mike started dating a few years ago, and it was actually their psychiatric illnesses and treatments that brought them together. Laura's mental illness started early on. When I was three, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, I have um, anxiety, social anxiety, um, dissociative disorder. I feel like I am um, not in my own body, and I feel a lack of reality. Lara completed high school, she went to college. And there was roommate problems, and um, my learning disability made it hard for me. Um, a lot of struggling. Nonetheless, she earned a bachelor's degree and worked as a teacher's aide for a time. Then her mom died in 2007. Right after she passed away, I had two psychiatric hospitalizations. I had epilepsy growing up, and I was pretty, had pretty average childhood. Um, played basketball, football, soccer. I have educational learning disabilities, and I studied retail merchandising. I worked in places like Lazarus, JCPenney's, Kohl's, what else? Blockbuster Video. My mother died in 1999. I probably had it back then when she died, 
but nobody diagnosed me back then. But I started having probably started having symptoms symptoms back then because I was getting manicky, spending a lot of money and stuff like that. And I was spending a lot of time in psychiatric hospitals throughout that time. And they diagnosed me with having bipolar and borderline personality. Mike married and divorced a couple decades ago. He has a daughter who is still close to him. Mike was 50 when he and Laura met. She was in her mid-40s. They both say that their experiences with illness help them understand and support each other. He encourages me to talk to my therapist, to keep my therapy appointments. He just, he listens and today he's gonna go to my PCP appointment with me and that means a lot. When Laura and Mike considered marriage, being together in sickness and in health, that was for real. They knew what it meant. In a moment, we'll find out how Mike's proposal to Laura went. That's after this break from another podcast our producers have been enjoying. Growing up mixed race, Charmaine Fury was often conflicted. I am not a person who's comfortable being emotional in front of people. I come from Japanese and British cultures. Like I have, I was raised by two women who were just like, Mm-mm, we don't do that. Mm-mm. And then I'm also black, which is very emotionally expressive. That's coming up in season four of Two Lives. Find it at twolives.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more about the Two Lives podcast at two, that's the number two, lives.org. And, drumroll, here's the moment you've been waiting for. Laura and Mike had been together for a while. He buys her a ring. They go out to eat. So he showed me the engagement ring, and um, the rest is history. And woohoo! She said yes. And all the staff came and um, clapped for us. A half a year passed, and then... It was a very small wedding, and... It was really beautiful with a a lot of roses, the Rose Garden, and um, it was special. So I've been keeping their last names from you for a while. I didn't want to give away the secret before you knew they were married, but now I give you Mrs. and Mr. Laura and Mike Hodes. They're by all accounts really happy. When our team met them, they'd snuggle on the couch together and generally joke around and laugh a lot. He's a great cook. I don't cook, so. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, it's not as if their health challenges evaporated. Within a few months, Mike faced a crisis. I had a breakdown where my voices got stronger and stronger, and it just got to me, and where I wanted to cut and overdose. So we talked to my therapist, and she helped me work through it. I told him that he could um, manage it, um, but if he needed to go to the hospital to be evaluated, he should go. Mike spent a night or two at a clinic called Resolve Crisis Center. Then he returned to the place where he and Laura met and where they spend their weekdays. It's called the Sally and Howard Levin Clubhouse. And it's a psychiatric and social rehab center run by Jewish Residential Services. Joe Herbig, director of the clubhouse, says he and Laura keep an eye out for Mike. 
we team up sometimes and make sure Mike's taking care of himself, so. And of course, same goes for Laura. Mike and Joe have her back, too. At the clubhouse, routine is key. Along with others who've had psychiatric breaks, Laura and Mike set their goals every day at 10 a.m. It's to stay in the habit of a workday schedule. Mike's work is selling burgers and snacks at a cafe. Laura helps him out. She's also known for her work in the kitchen, where she patiently brushes braided challah bread with egg. The couple says the clubhouse is like a family. And while it provides a lot of support, Laura and Mike also rely on assistance from what's called a supports coordinator. The coordinator's role is to ensure people with disabilities have food, medical care, safe housing, good social relationships, you know, those things that all of us need. But Laura says about her supports coordinator, She's not the best. Laura says the coordinator wasn't returning calls, she canceled appointments. Now, we couldn't verify this information with the coordinator's agency, but Laura's wouldn't be an unusual complaint. One study found that supports coordinators' caseloads, low wages, and exacting compliance documentation can lead to burnout and turnover. Now Laura's waiting for a new coordinator. Now, if Laura had been in touch with a coordinator, she might have known that saying yes to Mike's proposal meant a big cut in her food stamps. She now gets $16 a month. Yep, $4 a week in groceries compared to over 100 that she was getting before. Mike warns listeners. If you get more Social Security and you're living with someone who makes less and you're together, make sure you can afford to live off, off of that before you get married. Mike said they would have gotten married anyway, though, even if they knew that. Marriage is important to me because I'm with the one who means a lot to me. She's my rock. It's very special, and I trust him, and I believe in him, and I love him. Public Source, a Pittsburgh nonprofit news outlet, is providing editorial advice for this podcast as well as photos on its website. Please do check it out at publicsource.org. Underbridge Press and the nonprofit All Abilities Media first partnered with Public Source last year for the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Please visit adapittsburgh.com. Now on a Valid Podcast, we make a shift. We're moving away from talking about romantic relationships among people with intellectual disabilities because some people like to go it on their own. I like to play this one game on my Switch. What is it? It's called Animal Crossing. That's 27-year-old Hannah Dibble. Animal Crossing, a video game, was her answer when I asked what she likes to do at the rec center, where we are now, even though she plays the game at home, not here. It obviously dominates her list of favorite pastimes. It's not that Hannah doesn't like the rec center. When she's here, she says, I do arts and crafts, and I color and I draw. 
The organization PA Connecting Communities runs this program for people with disabilities. It's in Pittsburgh's South Hills. When I visit, there are seven people with disabilities here with their aides. Hannah's aide, Kim Rowe, explains today's activity. So you have their um, ribbon. Oh, that's your ribbon. And some of the, yeah, just gathering up some of this stuff. Um, we made snowflakes. We're actually working on um, a tree for over at the Tree of Life uh, Christmas thing. Uh, we're doing snowmen and snowflakes. And what we're going to represent is how every snowflake is not the same and everyone comes in different packages. Um, so we've created some snowflakes out of popsicle sticks with just a little hot glue and some paint. Part of Kim's role is picking up Hannah and working with her at the center. She also says she's trying to get Hannah out more and interacting with people. And Hannah's kind of on the fence about that. Like I like to keep to myself. Hannah moved into her own apartment for the first time about six months before we met. She finds the quiet a welcome change from growing up with 15 people. I do like the quiet now because when I used to live with my family, it was always loud and noisy and dogs barking, kids fighting. Her parents adopted all of Hannah's siblings. The kids had been in homes where there was drug abuse. Hannah describes her own disability as having difficulty processing information. So I was adopted by a wonderful family. But before that, um, my birth mother, when I was inside, inside her stomach, um, she would used to drink with me inside her stomach. And that's how I got my brain issues and yeah. Hannah's birth mom is deceased now. She had a stroke. And Hannah's still close to her adoptive family. But when she moved... I started to isolate from my family, and that wasn't good. Hannah doesn't say exactly why it wasn't good, but public health experts say that isolation for people with and without disabilities can be connected to depression, anxiety, poor physical health, and that too much time alone can even risk cognitive decline and premature death. Hannah says now, Now I have decided to keep in contact with my family and try to go over there once a week. Um, at Christmas time, we get together and we open presents and then we eat dinner and then we usually watch a movie. Hannah socializes other ways too. She has friends from high school she enjoys. They like to shop, go out to eat. But she says she doesn't see them much. She doesn't see her best friend much. Well, every time I try to get together, she's mostly busy with her family. And Hannah actually sounds pretty busy, too. Besides Fridays at the rec center, she works five days a week in a nursing home kitchen. I wash pots and pans. I make chef salads, PB&J, fruit plates, small salads. I pour the cereals for the next day. I clean the food coats, the coffee coats, and I sweep and mop. She leaves in the morning and isn't back until after 8 p.m. And even though Hannah likes being alone, I wondered if it made her nervous at all coming back so late. She says no. Her mom helped her put in place some support from disability services agency, Achieva. And they call me every night to check up on, check up on me right. to see if I'm okay or if I'm doing well, and they, I have cameras in my apartment, so they watch me throughout the night. So 
Oh, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? Yes, I am happy that someone's watching out for me throughout the night. And Kim regularly works with Hannah in her home. We can actually work on goals and things that she needs to have assistance with. Um, I will hand over hand help her clean her house or her apartment. She has measurements put into place as far as like an electrical, um, her stove, like there's an electric shutoff or there's an alarm that says, you know, you left something on. So Hannah's got a lot of safety issues covered. And she said she isn't lonely. When Kim's not there, her cat Lily keeps her company. And then, of course, there are the cartoon-like animals and virtual human companions in her favorite game, Animal Crossing. It's a so-called social simulator that she plays on a Nintendo Switch. Players move little joysticks with their thumbs to virtually explore an island, hang out on a beach, or hunt for fossils. It's as colorful as Candyland. Hannah and others create animated characters to represent themselves. They chat with each other in the game. Hannah sometimes plays virtually with her boss from the nursing home. But most of the people she plays with, she doesn't know. And that anonymity worries Kim. But less so than a previous game. Hannah was into something called IMVU. Here's YouTube gamer MMO Huts reviewing IMVU. I mean, this game is really popular for some reason. But it just comes down to, like, uh, teenagers and kids lying about their age to, uh, to go out and side with each other. Again, it's probably a really fun place to troll around. Hannah explains why she switched over to Animal Crossing. Kim adds her two cents. It's, just, it's a battle game. Uh, on INVU, there's a lot of drama, a lot of issues. Animal Crossing is just a fun, calm, relaxing game. It, I like to play it for hours, and it keeps me entertained. Yep. It's safer. Safer? Yes, it's safer. safer. Hannah says she appreciates the support from Kim, her family, Achieva. All in all, she's really happy. Would your life be any different if you could do anything you wanted? No. I would keep everything the same. On the daily, Hannah's just doing the things all of us do. And you've got your quarters. Yep. We got $10. We have to stop and get enough. The bank's going to roll. And then later, maybe some Animal Crossing. A valid podcast comes to you from the All Abilities Media Project. Based at the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University in downtown Pittsburgh. At Point Park, you can advance your career with a graduate degree from Point Park University. Choose from more than 20 Point Park master's and doctoral degrees. Learn online at your convenience or at Point Park's downtown Pittsburgh campus. Visit pointpark.edu graduate for more info. So as we heard in Hannah's story, interacting with people online can be fun, right? It's what a lot of people do. And for people with disabilities, it can be a great opportunity for stepping outside of the worlds that are often chosen for them. Online freedom of expression for people with disabilities is actually specifically named as a human right by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And yet again, caregivers like Kim are concerned about the safety issue. And I get it. Erin Gannon, who's been on each episode of A Valid Podcast this season, joins me now. She shares a kind of troubling story about her online relationships. 
Erin's on Facebook. She has 560 friends. She shares videos she likes, friends wish her happy birthday, the usual stuff. And like most of us, she's confronted the occasional bad actor. Not long ago, someone reached out to her on a messaging platform called WhatsApp. It's owned by Facebook. The person was posing as Erin's favorite country musician. This person, calling themselves Reba McIntyre, asked Erin to send Apple gift cards. Erin says she never did. A staff person in her group home stepped in when she noticed Erin was buying a lot of the Apple cards. My boss helped me get off of it. Off of WhatsApp? Yes, because it was not legit. And then later, she says... It was a um, fan request, which was people McIntyre. And I, I'm like, I have to look at this. I would look, look at it. I'm like, that has never happened to me before. I didn't ask for a friend request. And I just clicked on it. She requested me. I'm like, wow. So, do you think Reba McIntyre herself actually... Are you kidding me? What? When I looked at it, it was real. Now, her niece told her this was the real Reba McIntyre writing this time. That on the profile, Reba has a check next to her name, says she's verified, the only account, etc. But when we talked, I told Aaron... Okay, I'm sorry, I find that hard to believe. No, there was one that's really her. No, I didn't see the online exchanges, so I'm not sure what to make of all this. A few years before, I actually did write to Reba once, letting her know about Aaron. So, it's possible the famous singer could have reached out. But now Aaron's committed to not responding to anyone she doesn't know directly on Messenger. Aaron's story isn't unique. Cyber psychology researcher Dr. Darren Chadwick points out that policymakers need to fund services to help adults with intellectual disabilities learn how to be safe online. That means teaching family and professionals how to help people with these disabilities who use social media or play online games. These virtual concerns are just one threat that people with intellectual disabilities face in the post-institutional world. And the system of care is under strain. In Pennsylvania, more than 5,000 people are in what are considered emergency situations, waiting for funding for housing, support services like Aaron receives to live in a group home. Some of the people are living in squalor. Many are with aged parents who can no longer take care of themselves nor a person with a disability. Some people in these situations may be lucky enough to, at some point, move into a group home like where Aaron lives. And yet, even these group homes are facing issues, severe staff shortages, even when funding is available. I mentioned earlier in this season of a valid podcast that I've worked in Aaron's group home agency, Emmaus Community of Pittsburgh, for 15 years. In the next episode of a valid podcast, we'll hear from another person who lives where I work and from some of my colleagues. I made a career change about 10 years ago. I worked in the office field for, gosh, 20 years, um, and I actually started substitute teaching, and my first class that I started subbing was a week-long working with individuals with Down syndrome, and I just kind of fell in love with the field. Thank you so much for listening. A Valid Podcast comes to you from the All Abilities Media Project. And from interviews to music and cover art for this podcast, the majority of us producing this work have one or more disabilities. 
others on the team don't identify as having disabilities. Hallie Stockton with the news outlet Public Source is the lead editorial consultant for this podcast. Liz Reed of Jewel Tone Productions is our audio engineer and sound designer. Disability advocates Dr. Rachel Callum-Whitman and Aaron Gannon consulted on the content of this podcast. Claire Lindsay assisted Liz Reed in interviewing Laura and Mike. She's a Point Park University student, and her work was made possible through the Pittsburgh Media Partnership. Portions of this podcast were recorded by Dan Yost at Just Records in Dormont, Pennsylvania. I'm Jennifer Shveta-Jordan. I publish Unabridged Press and manage the All Abilities Media Project. That's based at the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. CMI director Dr. Andrew Conti and I are co-executive producers of this podcast. I hope you'll check out some of the great photos of Laura and Mike and Hannah that accompany this podcast on publicsource.org. I'll catch you next time. Do take care.